Uh, we are going to be studying in Proverbs chapter 17. And last summer, in August, I preached through Proverbs chapter 15. And if we had had time, we would have dove into Proverbs 17 a little bit, but that time is now uh, here with us this morning. So, um, and also, by the way, I'll, I'll be giving you some announcements. We're going to end a little bit early this morning, and I'll let you know kind of what's going on. But we've got a big day. We've got a big day planned for the Sandins, for Gary and Gloria. And uh, we've, got, we've got a lot happening today, so it's going to be a, a great day. Make sure you stick around, but I'll give you some uh, instructions for that at the end. And so um, with that, let's, let's stand and we'll read from Proverbs 17, just the first few verses there. Proverbs 17.1, better is a dry morsel with quietness than a house full of feasting with strife. A wise servant will rule over a son who causes shame and will share an inheritance among the brothers. The refining pot is for silver and the furnace for gold, but the Lord tests the hearts. The evildoer gives heed to false lips and a liar listens eagerly to a spiteful tongue. Lord, we do just uh, thank you for these Proverbs for these wise uh, sayings of truth, Lord. We ask that you would just help us to have understanding, help us to seek truth from you, and Lord, to take these things, a very uh, practical book of the Bible, Lord, that we would take these truths and apply them to our lives, Lord, and seek how we can change uh, the way that we live, the, word, the way that we do things, that we might live according to your word. And we thank you and praise you. Amen. Okay, we'll start off in verse 1, but I'm going to skip around a little bit because I didn't understand what some of the Proverbs meant. And so uh, there was a, a few key ones. So we'll be going through Proverbs 17, um, and we'll start at verse 1. We'll skip down to verse 6, and, and we'll go through. Uh, we'll see how far we get this morning, anyhow. So we'll go through the first few verses of Proverbs. But I love this book. It's such a great, practical book of the Bible that we can learn, very pithy truths, uh, very encapsulated uh, truths that we can take and apply to our life. It can cause us to think. As I mentioned when I preached through Proverbs last time, uh, it's very difficult to think of these things. Think of something that's true, a, a short statement that is embedded with truth, that's generally true. People know that it's true. People will recognize the same thing uh, from their experiences in life, uh, and, and, and yet it's profound. And so to try and think of statements like this that are true and profound and that once, when people hear it, they go, yeah, yeah, that's right. That, does, that makes sense. I agree. You know, that, that I've, I've seen that life is like that. You know, some people w- might refer to some of those kind of things as common sense, something that we just kind of all know, we all recognize from our experience in life. And so, but these are biblical truths and uh, very packed with meaning. And it's just a, it's a fun book to go through. Uh, some people like to read uh, a chapter a day because there's 31 chapters of Proverbs, uh, which is a great thing to do as well. But just, if anything, allow these things to, to jar your thinking. Just stop and think about them for a minute. Stop and think, how can I live differently? How can I behave differently? How can I treat others differently based on the things that I've learned in this book? So there in verse 1, he says, Better is a dry morsel with quietness than a house full of feasting with strife. So it's better to be hungry. It's better to have lasty, nasty, uh, you know, lame food than, and have quiet 
than to have in and out or habit or I don't know, the broken bit, whatever you like. The, better to have great food than to have a home full of strife. So how many of you guys think that way? How many of you guys like a quiet house? Now some of you maybe, yeah, quite a few hands go up. Some of you maybe uh, live by yourself. I know I lived in an apartment by myself for several years, and I had too much quietness. It was always quiet. Um, but now I don't. I, I have a family, four kids, and it's never quiet. If you've had children, you probably can understand what I'm talking about. But it's better to have a dry morsel, better to have something that's tasteless and textureless and just, you know, doesn't, it doesn't satisfy, but to have quietness. And, the, and he contrasts that there, of course, with the house that's full of feasting. You have great food, great entertainment, great everything. All the external things are great. So what is that saying? All the external things are great. You have the best of this, you know, the best... I don't know, iPhones, the best cable TV channels. Uh, you got it all, the 140-inch uh, television set in your, in your man cave or whatever. Um, you got all this great stuff, but if you have strife in your house, it's better to have nothing, better to live in a little cardboard box and have peace in your home than to live in a house full of strife. How many, I mean, can you relate to that? Anybody, can, can, can any of you here relate to that? You know, do you enjoy being around people that argue a lot? Is that something that you look forward to? You're like, hey, man, I can't wait to be home. I'm going to hear a lot of arguing and uh, people not getting along. You know, and one of the most grating and annoying things, you know, at least in, in my experience where I'm at in life, is, you know, coming home and you have a house full of kids that are just arguing and, and bickering with one another. And, and some days I come home and it's great. Everyone's getting along, and other days it's uh, argue, bicker, this problem, that problem. You know, people are constantly coming to me with, hey, you know, this person did this and this person did that, and these kind of things. And yet, that's not, it's not necessarily the vision that you have, uh, you know, when you're working all day and you come home and you want to be bombarded with people arguing and bickering and having all these problems. So it is nice. It is, it is a beautiful thing. It's a wonderful thing to have a house that's peaceful. And those nights are great when you come home and people are getting along, and it does happen, and it's a blessing. You know, going off uh, for a few days or a week or something with my wife and, and being in a hotel room where there's peacefulness and quiet, it's great. It's a wonderful blessing. You know, we can discuss things, talk about what's going on in our lives, uh, what's going on in our walk with the Lord. So being around people that argue and bicker, uh, where there's strife, is not the most fun and it's something I think we can all relate to, that we would uh, rather avoid if we could. So going, skipping down to verse 6, we're going to skip to Proverbs 17, verse 6. It says there that children's children are a crown of old men, and the glory of children is their father. So family, having children, what a blessing. You know, what a wonderful thing, and I think it is a, a great blessing. You know, it would be great to be a grandma or a grandpa, to have grandchildren, to have a large family. So I wouldn't know because, you know, at 23 years of age, I've got a ways to go before I get there. So, uh, but one day, one day I'm sure it will be great. Have grandchildren and uh, have that legacy, that heritage. But he's affirming here something that you would think is obvious. 
you know, children's children are a crown of old men. You know, just having children, having generations, many generations of children uh, is, is a wonderful thing. You would think it's something that's very obvious, yet even, even things like that that are so obvious are challenged in today's culture. And the, the very idea of life is challenged. The very idea of it being a blessing to have children is being challenged. The idea of having a large family is being challenged by our culture. It just goes to show that our culture, the world, as, as Jesus called it, is diametrically opposed in every way to every truth of Scripture because the world, and we'll talk about it in some of the other Proverbs later, the world doesn't celebrate life. It celebrates what? Death. As, as amazing and crazy as that sound, it's true. The world without Christ, devoid of God, devoid of any understanding of God, celebrates death and not life because everything from the world from the enemy is opposed to the things of God. So, but children's children, you know, having a large family uh, is a crown of an old man. The glory of children is their father. How many of you children in this room think, think that way? The glo- my glory is my father. You know, hopefully you do. It is a wonderful thing, and it's a great thing to be a dad. I love being a dad. You know, it's something that I always wanted to be, and I'm very grateful to have been able to have that blessing in life. I know many people uh, aren't able to, to have children, aren't able, you know, they don't find that person, whatever, and, and they're not blessed in that way. So I'm definitely very blessed, very grateful, and it's a wonderful thing. You know, and this verse, it just it celebrates life, the thing that God has given us, the thing that is different from anything else in this world is life that comes from God. So God told Adam and the Eve, uh, Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, what did he say to them concerning life? He said, be fruitful and multiply. Be fruitful and multiply. So he told them, have children. Don't worry uh, about the world. You know, I, I was listening to a thing uh, the other day, listening to something was talking about a lot of these doomsday prophecies that were going around uh, in the 70s, maybe some of you remember some of this. And, uh, you know, there was, say, 3 billion people not long after World War II. Uh, and people were thinking, that, boy, when we get to 3.5 billion, uh, there's not going to be any more food in the world. You know, and uh, the world is going to be dying, and, and we've got to stop having children. And you know, there was all these movements to stop having children, you know, the population bomb, we're all going to die. There's not enough food to go around. Um, and you heard a lot of this stuff, and uh, I don't remember it because, you know, I was born, you know, 30, 40 years later, but there was a lot of these types of things going around in the world where there was doomsday prophecies about population and all that kind of, now we're at, what, 7 billion, and people have done studies, there's less hunger today in the world than there has been in pretty much any time in, in history before, at least percentage-wise, there's less hunger today, more people today are fed and have food than they've had in the past. So all those doomsday prophecies of even adding an extra half billion or a billion more people in the world is going to end all turned out not to be true. And that's the thinking of man. God said, be fruitful and multiply. The Lord is our provider, not the world, not human ingenuity. God is our provider. He's the one that will take care of us all. And so God loves life. He loves procreation. He loves uh, seeing life come forth so it's no big surprise to us that the world does celebrate death and not life. You know, many in our society energetically defend abortion and euthanasia. 
You know, physician-assisted suicide, things that celebrate death. You see people in the news sometimes that have decided to end their lives, and they're celebrated, right? That's, that's considered to be a brave and wonderful thing. They're celebrated in those ways, and not to diminish the suffering that people go through. Certainly they do, but it's interesting to see how the world celebrates that, but yet we have abortion, we have children, 55 million uh, since 1972 in this country alone have, have been killed. 55 million children have been aborted. So we have a world that does, it celebrates death. It's true. But our God celebrates life. You know, we see, I don't know if you guys remember in the news about Cecil the lion. You got Anybody remember that? So there was a lion. It was in Africa, of all places. It was an American dentist was over there, and he hunted, apparently, legally. He had the permits. Everything was all good. But for some, I don't know why this became such a big news story here, but uh, he shot this lion that was sort of famous, I guess, there in Africa. And most of the people there are like, yeah, people shoot lions all the time. You know, they come in and they, they eat us. You know, they, they're one of the biggest threats to our villages. And so we're, we're not all that torn up about it. And yet this became such a huge story. People were so upset about the murder of Cecil the lion. So when it comes to Cecil the lion, people, we, we rise up. We're, we're not happy about that. We get very angry about that. But when it comes to killing human life in the womb, that's, you know, we, got, we got to protect that at all costs. We've got to make sure that right is never infringed. And so you can see how the world values uh, the, you know, animal life. Yeah, let's celebrate that. But human life is not valued at all. And so, but we have a God that celebrates life, it celebrates procreation, it celebrates families, and may we be a people that celebrates life, you know, as well, and that we live our lives to his glory. Verse 7, excellent speech is not becoming to a fool, much less lying lips to a prince. So fools don't say wise things, do they? Do you guys know any fools? Anybody know a fool? Nobody. Uh, fools don't say wise things. Of course, none of us think that we're fools. But have we ever said foolish things? Have we ever done foolish things? Nobody. Okay, good. So it's just, just me. So the Hebrew word for fool, anybody know what it is? <laughs> more of the more corrupt. The Hebrew word for fool is Nabal. Interestingly enough. So this is, it's literally, you guys know, remember the story of Abigail and Nabal. It's literally the name of someone from scripture. So with David, he encountered this man named Nabal. Some of you might remember the story there in 1 Samuel chapter 25. If not, you can go home and read about it today. But Abigail, of course, was um, a beautiful woman and a very wonderful woman and, and a woman that, uh, you know, was a ple- pleasure to be around um, and a respectful person and all this, and, sh- and she was married to this man named Nabal, who was none of those things. Um, he was, uh, you know, from the biblical, biblical accounts, he was a fool. He was just not someone that was fun to be around, um, very self-centered, and very difficult to deal with. And so he was a very coarse and rough man. So if you call somebody a Nabal, uh, you're actually using a biblical word. So uh, feel free to do that to anybody. They don't do what you want. Call them enable. Say, you know, you're kind of being enable right now. And see what they say. And uh, 
But we want to be people that are wise, right? The opposite of wisdom, or opposite of foolishness would be wisdom. So we want to be people that do have that excellent speech and not be fools in the way that we think and the way that we process, the way that we live our lives. And how can we do that? How can we be wise? Of course, by studying his word, by learning his word, by putting into practice the things of his word. Anytime we reason from our own hearts, that's what the world does. And when we reason from our own hearts, because our, our hearts are not pure, they are wicked and full of sin, full of deceitfulness, uh, when we reason from our own hearts, we are going to wind up making foolish decisions, making foolish conclusions. So we don't want to be fools. We want to be those that are wise. In verse 8, it says, A present is a precious stone in the eyes of its possessor. Wherever he turns, he prospers. So I thought this, this is an interesting verse. I don't have a whole lot to say about it. It's interesting that that word present there um, can be translated as bribe, and some people do translate it that way. In that case, it would be sort of making it sound like a bribe is a good thing, um, and it could be speaking sarcastically here, but just in case anybody did think a bribe was a good thing, turn over to verse 23, or just move, move down the page to verse 23. It says there, A wicked man accepts a bribe behind the back to pervert the ways of justice. So what do we think about bribes? Well, we, I think it's fairly obvious from this scripture and other scriptures that bribes are not good. They're not something that we want to partake in. Um, and so he's probably talking about something good here, you know, the, the precious stone. And, um, you know, when, when we give those good gifts, you know, we'll prosper. You know, wherever, we, wherever he turns, he prospers. And so he's able to to walk forward in, well in life. So I guess the point would be give good gifts and, and uh, think, seek to bless others in our lives. Verse 9 says, He who covers a transgression seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates friends. So how many of you, when you find out something, something bad, something, uh, you know, just, I don't know what the word, something unpleasant, about someone that you know, something that they did wrong. Maybe they messed up on something. Maybe that got caught cheating, or maybe they got pulled over and got a ticket, or who knows. But how many of you guys in that situation love to go around and start telling people? Put it on Facebook. Hey, did you hear about this guy? Did you hear what he did? Did you hear uh, the mistake that he made? You know, I think when people make mistakes... Uh, there's always a lot of people out there that seem to really enjoy uh, bringing that mistake up as much as possible and letting as many people as they can know about that mistake. But is that something that we should do? You know, he who covers a transgression, in, in other words, he who takes, when he finds out about a transgression, he does what he can to keep it under wraps, to keep it private, you know. Uh, seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separate friends. So we don't want to be those people that repeat everything that we hear, especially when it's things that put somebody in a bad light. Someone once said to me, you know, and it was in the context um, of a wife or husband, and they told me, whatever you do when you communicate to other people, never put your wife in a bad light. Don't ever say something that makes her look bad. To anybody, to, you know, even if it's true, 
You know, even if something did happen, don't repeat that. Don't say that to people. Always speak about your wife that, such that she is cast in a good light to others. So, and it's not that you know, we can never discuss uh, things with our friends that, um, that are going on or, th- or problems that we're having, but, but make sure in your communication that you're not putting them in a bad light, you're, that you're not making them look bad to that person who doesn't know the whole story, Right? And you could say things that can make that person look very bad. And, and we should extend that to everyone. You know, extend, extend that to all of us. We should not be seeking to share things for the purpose of putting an, another in a bad light. And so we want to be people that cover a transgression. Because, you know, when someone does do something wrong, you know, it's not best for us to repeat those things, not best for us to say them to others. But who, who does this a lot? What, what group of people uh, is, really loves to, maybe I use the word, tattle on other people? Have you guys ever known anybody? Like kids, right? Your children uh, or other people's children, if you don't have any. They love to tattle, don't they? Kids, that's a very natural instinct. And uh, we have it in our house. So I know that we have uh, sin in our children. You can detect it there. They love to tattle. They love to tell on one another. Now, here's the real question. Have you grown out of it? Or are you still a tattler? Um, so tattling is that, that instinct that we have, the childish instinct that you know, hopefully will reach maturity and grow out of that and recognize uh, while it's not a good thing always to do that. But as with many of our childish instincts, uh, we probably haven't grown out of it yet. We're probably still working on that. So... And not that, in the context of your children, we don't always want them to never tell us anything. But I would encourage you, if your children are tattling a lot, but there's something that needs to be said, you know, if they've seen, they've seen a crime that needs to be shared, instruct your children to bring it to you privately, not, not with everybody else around. And that way you as a parent can deal with it. And you can decide how you want to proceed. If it's, if it's lying, for instance, you know, I would want to go to that, uh, that child that has been accused of lying and see if they want to confess anything and allow them to bring it forward and just let them know that you know, there may have been some, some wrong done and see if they're willing to confess it. So it's not that we never want anyone to tell us anything, but we don't want to encourage the sharing of other people's dirty laundry, the sharing of their transgressions. So one exception to this in church life would be church discipline. Uh, we are instructed in that case to make it public, but that's at the final stage. That is when all other, uh, all other uh, avenues have been closed down. Because we are told in Scripture to take it directly to the person first. You know, if there is a, a, a discipline issue or if there is a problem there, a transgression there. So we want to keep the circle very small. Church discipline is only brought into it in the end, which is the public sharing um, of those sins, when there's, there's just no other. It's a sin that, that's public. It's a sin that's within the church, and it needs to be dealt with. And we do see. And, that, and what that does is it just... Um, it adds a level of, of seriousness and it. it adds a level of, um, you know, of kind of heaviness to that 
sinful act that was done publicly that people know about within the church. So that's an exception, but hopefully an exception that is very rare. And even within church discipline, we want to keep it private as long as we possibly can to keep it between us. So we want to seek to protect others when they make mistakes. You know, when there is sin going on, we, we certainly want to keep it as to as small of a group as possible. Uh, just just you and that person, um, hopefully. And so we never want to share things to make others look bad, even though I think if we're honest, there's, there's that childish instinct in all of us to do that. We like sharing those things, the dirty laundry about others. But we should still seek to build others up. You know, Ephesians 4, 29 through 32 talks about building others up um, that it might benefit. You know, so we want to say uplifting things. We want to say encouraging things. Um, sometimes exhorting things. Hey, the next verse talks about that. Um, verse 10 says, Rebuke is more effective for a wise man than a hundred blows on a fool. So, rebuke. And when we went through uh, chapter 15, we talked quite a bit about that. And there's a lot of verses that talk about rebuke, but it's a, this is a powerful verse. You know, a hundred blows on a fool. So basically saying, a fool isn't going to learn from sound arguments. A fool is not going to be reasoned with. So there's nothing you can do to help a fool gain in their understanding. Now, there's not that many people that are truly fools, but many of us can be foolish at times, right? But hopefully we're not characterized by that. But what should we be characterized by? When people do bring rebuke to us, we respond to it lovingly. We respond to it asking not like, hey, who are you? Well, you do the same thing. You know, I've seen you do that ten times worse than me. Not responding like that, but recognizing, you know, there might be some truth to this. Let me stop and think about it. Let me not respond right now, but let me stop and think. Maybe there's some truth to what they're saying, because there probably is, unless any of you think that you're perfect. And I would hope that you don't. Um, we'll have to talk after service if you, if you do think that. But none of us are perfect. We all need help with those things. Uh, hopefully that rebuke would be done in a, a kind and a loving way and certainly not in a way that seeks to tear the person down. But we should stop and ask ourselves, maybe there's something there that I can learn from this. Maybe they're seeing something in me. And so that's why rebuke is effective for a wise person. You know, the wise man, the wise woman will hear those words, receive that, and seek how they can grow in the Lord um, from that experience. Verse 12 says, Let a man meet a bear robbed of her cubs rather than a fool in his folly. So strong words again for the fool, isn't it? So how dangerous is a fool? And what do you, what do you think of when you think of a bear being robbed of her cubs? What do you think happens in that situation if you're there? It's not going to be good, right? They're not going to be gentle. They're going to come after you. That's one thing you don't want to encounter is a bear uh, when she feels like her cubs are in danger. She's going to be awfully defensive and do whatever it takes to defend those cubs. But do you know, do you know people, maybe yourself, that will defend your foolishness to no end? That you'll, you'll defend yourself and you'll defend whatever foolishness you engaged in? You know, do you do that? And that would be the question. I think if we're honest, we can all recognize there's been times when we've done that, Right? We've taken a foolish position, we've made a foolish conclusion, and we stick to it. We're going to defend ourselves. Um, but may we be people that 
let things go. You know, sometimes it's the best thing to just to let the issue go and to not, you know, maybe, again, maybe I'm wrong. You know, maybe I'm just not seeing this clearly. Verse 13 says, Whoever rewards evil for good, evil will not depart from his house. Wow, that's a, that's a powerful verse there as well, isn't it? So evil is not going to depart from our house if we reward evil for good. So how do people reward evil for good? Maybe you loan someone your car, let's say. Not that this has ever happened to me, but you loan someone your car and, and they get in an accident and rather than being grateful to you, uh, and you can only imagine this, you know, because we live in a culture where these kind of things actually happen, but maybe they get in an accident and they, and they sue you because uh, your, your brakes didn't work properly or something. So maybe you do a good deed and you're rewarded with evil, right? It kind of reminds me of the, the case, um, which is a true case of a, a burglar breaking into someone's house, climbed up their gutters, and then the gutters broke, he fell down and hurt himself pretty badly, and then he sued the homeowners uh, because their gutter wasn't safe and he got hurt. So, you know, the way the laws are set up in this country anyways, if it's on your property, you're liable, <laughs> even if someone's breaking into your house, amazing as that sounds. But maybe you invite someone um, into your house, you know, maybe they're down and out. And uh, maybe you invite them in and want to help them out. You know, give them a place to shower, uh, give them some clothes, and then maybe, maybe they steal from you. They use the opportunity to be in your house, and then they start stealing things. Does that ever happen? Has anybody ever known that to happen in any of your lives? I think probably some of us, have, if it hasn't happened to you, maybe know somebody that it's happened to. So people do that. They sometimes reward evil for good. So people might want to take advantage of you and, and do things. But for that person who does that, evil will not depart from their house. So there, is going, there are going to be consequences. And to repay evil for good, it shows a lack of gratitude. And that's something that, um, you know, it, it, to, to me, it's, it's one of the hardest things in the world to deal with is someone that's not grateful. And I think when the Lord looks down on, upon us, that's probably one of the things that grieves the Lord the most is that when we're not grateful. You know, the Lord has given us so much. God has blessed us with so much. We should be just filled with gratitude. And so, but the evil person rewards evil for good. There, there's a, a, a true lack of gratitude there. There's really nothing you can do either to make somebody grateful, is there? I mean, if you have a child or a family member that you've helped them out and they're just totally ungrateful. Is there any way that you can force them, make them be grateful to what you've done? It's, you can't. Um, you can't make a person grateful. They either are or they, or they aren't. So we, we don't want to reward evil for good. We want to um, reward what? Good for evil. When people do evil things to us, we want to respond to that by doing good things for them. So with that, we're going to go ahead and kind of wrap up right there. And I'm going to give you a couple instructions for the day. So hopefully those are some things that you can take home and think about and ponder. Read through the Proverbs. You know, read through Proverbs chapter 17 and ponder these things. Think about them and see what, what the Lord might be teaching you through these verses.